Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We're keeping it real. Ghost right. Welcome back to Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube. Wonderful show planned for everyone today. We're going to be talking about the NFL, all the big stories, including Aaron Rodgers, the MVP race, all that and much more. We are also going to be talking about all of the hoopla that's going around between the Nikola Jokic family and the family of the Morris brothers. The the Jokic brothers came out and said some very strong stuff, as did the Morris brothers. So we'll talk about that and the fallout from that action. Also going to be talking about some NBA, other NBA news, including Russell Westbrook, the Lakers, where we see them going. Uh, and yeah, so it's going to be one of those episodes. It's just me today, but we're going to get through it. But before we start anything, I want to remind everyone to hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new episode is released if you're on youtube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please, please, please do me a huge personal favor. Hit that follow button on Spotify and give leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out of the podcast, you know, for audio listeners, people who might not find us on YouTube. So please, 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 I, I would greatly appreciate if uh, people would do that. That would help out a lot. Um, also, again, like button on YouTube. That also helps out just as much. But please do those things. We're a community trying to grow and and that's that's again that, that's my pitch that's my pitch also if you can uh check out uh, realtakesportstalk.com where we got I I'm dropping some uh, exclusive stuff hopefully over the next few days kind of in that's in beta test right now just let me know what you guys think of the design and all that jazz but we've got a lot to get to as I said and we're going to get started with it in a very very interesting with a very interesting topic i should say and that is the xfl for those who might not know the xfl uh is about to enter its third iteration and it is getting a little bit of a revamp so the xfl has been kind of in flux the xfl 2020 it kind of died out basically because of covid and the fallout from the pandemic and people are wondering when is the xfl returning well here you go. The XFL is returning in 2023. Yes, spring 2023, the XFL is scheduled to return. It's a venture that was bought by The Rock. It was bought by many other people uh, in, in, in that world, in that sphere. And it, it, it's interesting. It's interesting because with the XFL returning in 2023, a lot of people are asking, will the XFL be able to be successful as successful as it was in 2020. And one thing we need to remember is when the XFL returned in 2020, it was successful. The games were entertaining. The, pre the presentation was different. The brand had got garnered almost entirely new type of mentality, an almost entirely new type of credibility. It did a lot of things. It tried a lot of things that we want the NFL to now do. People want to see things like the different types of two-point conversions. You can, they have the three-point conversion, four-point conversion, the fourth and 15 onside kick rule. These were things that now people want to see implemented, including myself, want to see implemented in the NFL. So the XFL 2020, before the COVID pandemic basically rooted it out and took it out, it was a success. And if you want to replicate that success, then what you need to do if you are The Rock and, um, and Miss Garcia, who, who bought this venture... 
you need to make sure you hire the right people. And as of today, we can report that the XFL has hired a series of former NFL and former XFL executives on Monday, anticipating the 2023 return on the field, including one huge name, uh, Russ Brandon, who is now going to serve as the XFL's new president. He was formerly the chief operating officer of the Bills, the Buffalo Bills. So they, again, are reaching out and bringing back some some names that are that have experience with football have experience with that world. They're not just putting together random executives who have no product knowledge or no knowledge about how to run these types of operations. And that's a good thing. And I think they bring back some of the similar people they also uh, had in the previous XFL, knowing that there's two owners, or, or new owners, I should say. That's going to help them out a lot because, like I said, the presentation, everything about the XFL was great. And the best part about it, and you know how you and you know how you can tell the XFL was a success in 2020. Before it, you know, before it died out and before COVID took it out, I want to say, the fans loved it. You look at uh, some of those fans, Salt Lake fans who didn't have an NFL team. They loved it. You look at DC fans. Like I and again, I was living in DC at the time. I can attest. The D.C. Defenders were one of the best things, even coming off of that that, uh, World Series championship win from the Nats. That was one of the best things about D.C. sports at that time because people loved the Defenders. They were actually in D.C., unlike the Washington football team. They were entertaining. The the football was pretty. The football was actually pretty good. The views on on a lot of the XFL games were good, so the product wasn't, you know, people knew the product wasn't, like, you know, third, fourth rate. And on top of it all, the games were fun and fans loved it. I was there at the Cup Snake game when when they had all of the cups lined up at at, at the DC Defenders game. That was actually the last DC Defenders game, if uh, my memory is correct. So the fans loved it. The football was really good. They did a lot of innovative stuff that people liked. And overall, the presentation was good. And on to top it all off, people watched. Like, obviously, you're not going to get the same number of people who watch NFL games but they were able to crack a million. Even at the end, they were able to crack a million. And that's good. Because those are good ratings. Especially for, and you'll get that return on investment. Because nowadays, TV ratings are not what they used to be. Not everything on TV is the, is the NFL. It's going to get tens of millions of people viewing. No. Like, you get, like, some of the highest rated programming on TV nowadays is, like, you, yeah, you're, you crack a million, you're probably going to be the highest rated that night. That's the reality of the situation. And it's the reality of the TV landscape. So I think the XFL is going to be great. The thing that's going to complicate it, I think, or make it interesting. I, you know, I don't want to say complicate. The thing that is going to make the XFL's return in 2023 most interesting is the whole USFL thing that's going to happen. Because I remember I did a video on this back uh, a while ago. So the USFL is coming back. And it is coming back actually a year before the XFL. It's coming back in 2023. Two, so just a few months from now, uh, I believe they have an announcement coming in a week or two. So they're coming back. So they're going to have two, by 2023 maybe, we're going to have two spring football leagues. Again, we've seen it with the AAF. That was a complete failure. I don't know where the where the USFL is getting a lot of their money. I believe, actually, no, it's Fox. So they're going to have the money to make it happen. Fox is going to invest in it. If the XFL can find a partner like they did, they can find CBS to make that the home of their spring football league, that would be interesting because there's nothing better than two very, very high up, petty, and well-resourced 
TV networks going up, up against each other in very similar competition in primetime, stuff like that. That that's going to be that's going to make it even more interesting, I think, for um, the more avid fan, just kind of like that dynamic. So we'll see what happens with that. But as a staunch DC Defenders fan, I will say that to my dying day. I cannot wait for the XFL to return in 2023, especially you got The Rock in there. Come on. How can it not be good? The Rock, the Rock is smarter than to tie himself into something that uh, he knows is not going to work. But you guys, let me know what you think. Hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Um, but yeah, th I mean, I... I, I I have a lot of views about the XFL. Again, I'm a biased person as someone who just absolutely loved the previous XFL, but I feel like that also makes me, you know, a good person to talk about something like this because this was a football league, a spring football league that, unlike the AAF, had the resources to do it, unlike the AAF, was actually good and people cared for it. And it was in markets that people cared for. And the and if you want the you want the biggest, you know, stamp of approval for the XFL 2020, they actually turned out stars or people, sorry, I shouldn't say stars, but they actually turned out people who did very well. Like PJ Walker is like the biz, biggest example of this, who got jobs in the NFL. And PJ Walker is about to be the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. We'll talk about them in just a, a little bit. But uh, but so they were able to do that and they were able to get people and, and bring them up and actually you know, become a little bit of a feeder system to the NFL, which is exactly the position you want to be in. You kind of want to be the feeder league. You want to be an alternate for people who, one, might not have the name recognition, or two, might not have the skills right now to be in the NFL. Those bubble players, they need somewhere to go. Why not the XFL? Why not? Um, or the USFL. But... Those are my two cents about that. Again, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Let me know what you guys think in the chat. Moving on, um, we have some very, very controversial, but always oh-so-interesting news. Aaron Rodgers cannot keep his mouth shut, can he? Uh, well, it cost him. It cost him. Uh, let's get to it, though. So Aaron Rodgers was fined. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers both fined. The Green Bay Packers organization was fined $300,000. Aaron Rodgers and uh, teammate Alan Lazard were fined for over $14,000, I should say, each. Um, and this stems from a a this stems from the NFL basically punishing them for not following the COVID protocol that was in place. Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show on Last Friday, talking about this, he returned on Aaron Rodgers Tuesday, as he does, to talk about that situation. We'll talk about what happened there. I want to talk about the punishment first. So, as far as this punishment from the NFL goes, again, 300000 for the Packers, 14000 for Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard. Is this punishment fair? Is this punishment right? So, here's the thing. By the letter of the law... This is this is the punishment. They're, it's not going to take away a whole game check from Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to find the Green Bay Packers, you know, two first-round draft picks or anything like that. By the law and the, and the letter that the NFL has laid down and the precedent that they've set with previous fines, you know, fines have been around 500000 like between that three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand uh, dollar range, I believe the Ravens and and maybe I think the Vikings as well were were fined 
They were also fine draft picks. I don't, I'm sorry, it was the Saints. Were also fine draft picks. I don't understand why, in this case, they weren't fine draft picks because what they did, you could say, is just as egregious. And it also brought attention to it, which, you know, if you are a league that wants to hammer Dan, as Pat McAfee and friends would say, on, on this type of behavior and, and really send a message to the rest of the league not to do this, you would think that you would at least do a an in, equal punishment to what you did to those teams. Again, different situations, but you want to kind of also set an example, which the NFL, of course, in their history, they never do. Um, and as far as the punishment, is it right? It depends on what you think about as right. If the goal of this punishment is to make sure that the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers don't do this again or whatever, then, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how much it's going to deter them, really. $300,000 is a drop in the bucket. It's nothing for the Green Bay Packers organization. Aaron Rodgers is $14,000 fine. That's nothing. He makes he makes more than that in a quarter of football. He makes more than that in a quarter of football. That's not going to cost him much. He $14,000 a a a drop in the bucket. So, it's not going to so so this isn't something that's going to deter, I think, the Packers or even Aaron Rodgers. Although he he came on the show and he said he was sorry and all that stuff, but We'll talk about that in a second. Um, I I think they should have went harder. If you're the NFL and you want to send a message, and this is the same league that it, it's weird. They go after Tom Brady for Deflategate. Suspend him for four games for, for deflated balls. This is the same league that went after a bounty system in, in the New Orleans Saints organization that every other team was doing, every other team had, and we all knew every other team was doing it, but they got caught. My question to the NFL is genuine. Why did you not do at least an equal punishment to what you handed out before? Because this is worse. Not only did this bring shame and, and a bad look on the league, and not only did it point out some actual like some actual truth about the league's protocols, and not only did it actually, you know, put the league in a bad situation. But it puts the safety of players in a bad situation. It, you know, and but by the letter of the law. And it also, on top of all of that, on top of all of that, it made the league look stupid. And it showed other teams that you can do this. You can do this. You can, these protocols don't mean anything. And they're in a way they're proving Aaron Rodgers right by not hammering Dan on Aaron Rodgers in this in this uh, punishment and the Packers I should say the Packers were more responsible for this than Aaron Rodgers was let me be clear because they're the ones who are supposed to be monitoring him they're the ones who are supposed to be telling him to put his mask on to stay away from people and all that stuff they're the ones who are supposed to be monitoring that and on top of that they were not they deserve a severe punishment therefore. But what instead, they put a little slap on the wrist. And what's what's the end game? Are the Packers going to be de- uh, more incentivized now to tell Aaron Rodgers to put his mask on? Nah, not really. What's what's the end game? Well, you went all you went all through all of that, and you know what the biggest thing is? In a weird way, it proved Aaron Rodgers right. 
because Aaron Rodgers said that the NFL, it's not about, for the NFL, it's not about player safety, which we all know it's not about. For the NFL, it's about their bottom line. They know that having these protocols protects them from criticism, protects them from liability, protects them from all that kind of stuff, from losing money and losing fans. That's what it's about. Now, do some of these protocols make it safer for players? Absolutely. But the goal, but you know, but by doing this, by not taking it seriously and not taking these violations of their own protocol seriously, they're just proving Aaron Rodgers right. Because the NFL doesn't care about these protocols. They don't care about player safety. They just care about the bottom line and doing lip service. Unfortunately, they that's it. The that's it. And like much of society, like much of of the the structural powers that be, that's what it's always going to be about. Paying lip service instead of paying attention. As far as the Aaron Rodgers situation goes, um, so the and and I want to be very careful with my words. And I, I I promised everyone I would address this and. You know, Aaron Rodgers has since come out on his on the Pat McAfee show and and talked about this. So, as far as the Aaron Rodgers situation is concerned, he came on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday. He went back a little bit on his comments from the previous Friday, and he basically said, "If I offended anyone or if anyone felt misled," was exactly what he said. Then I apologize. And he said that he is an he's an athlete, not an advocate or not an activist and that he and he just wants to get back to playing football. Okay. That's it. That's cool. Cool. You you are not you're an, you're not an activist. You're an athlete. Play football. Cool. Then that is your right to do that. My biggest issue is with Aaron Rodgers' whole situation. It was never that Aaron Rodgers didn't get vaccinated. That wasn't my issue with it. It's his choice. Fine. It was never that Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, like, oh, Aaron Rodgers was like, you know, talking about Joe Rogan or whatever. It wasn't any of that stuff that people latch onto that gets clickbait headlines and all that stuff. My main problem with Aaron Rodgers, and it wasn't even like, honestly, another problem I don't have is the fact that he lied to the media originally about his vaccination status. Like, Like, I feel like. Players lie to the media all the time. What are you going to do? What, what are you, what are you going to do? Fine everyone for lying? No. And I understand it's a public health thing, and, and it's different in a way, and, and I get that argument. My biggest problem, though, with what Aaron Rodgers had to say on the Pat McAfee show on his first appearance was that he was pushing li- literal lies. Like, he said he's a critical thinker. And as someone who is a critical thinker, you would think that he would have at least, for a second, done some basic research that is provable and disproves some of what he said. The biggest problem I had with what he said was he said that the vaccines aren't stopping people from going to the hospital and dying. That is the biggest bold-faced lie I've ever heard from from someone who claims to be a critical thinker. That's something that's just de- easily disproven by by facts. If you get if you get the vaccine, it's not going to totally stop you from getting covid. Yeah. You're not telling anyone something they don't know. That's like common sense. Vaccines don't 
generally completely stop you from getting a disease. They make the effects of the disease less. And 99% of the people are, I believe it's still 99, 99% of the people right now who are in the hospital with COVID, guess what? They're unvaccinated. So what you said, Aaron, was a bold-faced lie. And you're you're a critical thinker, right? So either you knew what you were saying was a lie and you critically, you know, thought, oh, well, I'm going to use this lie to my defense. Or, or you're a BS critical thinker who just latches on to one or two points that agree with your facts. And you didn't really do your research. And again, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going by what Aaron Rodgers said specifically. And and it's worth to note, he didn't go back on his comment on these comments. So there's a lot of stuff when I was watching that interview. I was like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Because, okay, look, if you're concerned about putting something in your body, perfectly natural response to be concerned before putting something in your body. If you're not concerned before putting something in your body, then, you know, the like especially something new okay i i totally understand that and if you're not then you know i would tell you like at least think about it but boldly lying to the extent that aaron Rodgers did and and spreading legitimately harmful misinformation i know that word gets thrown around a lot but spreading legitimately harmful lies is something that is personally disgusting and I and yeah and people can think however you want. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. Like, dude, f- forget all the crap. Oh, you're a role model. Forget all of that. At the end of the day, you claimed yourself to be this big f- s- critical thinker. You're not an advocate, right? You're not an activist. You're a critical thinker. And you didn't even think to check basic facts about hospitalizations, which you were talking about. The, my biggest problem is Aaron Rodgers is this faux intellectual pu- pushing out faux intellectual bullshit because he doesn't even know the basic facts of what he's talking about. If you wanted to claim you had concerns about specific uh, medical things, I hear you. I hear you. I wouldn't have taken umbrage with that. But when you're pushing dangerous lies... It's just stupid because whether you like it or not, Aaron, people listen to you. And this isn't just you having a conversation with with someone who is pushing lies. You are spreading them, my friend. It's you. And I'm glad you're not going to be talking about this any longer because the more you talk about it, the more lies you tell people. Like, come on, man. Like, it's just... Of all the things he said on, on, on that Friday interview with the Pat McAfee show, that's the one that I was I, I latched on to and I was like, oh, you I was it was so it, it's just so out there. Just so out there and so just incorrect. Like legitimately, easily disproven, like like a, like like a freaking like 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 dog could Google that. And understand that that's not true. And I don't know. Maybe it's a thing of education. Maybe we need more education. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is consulting the wrong people. Maybe that's what it is. But I don't really care about that specific part of it. Just 
Just don't lie. If you don't know what you're talking about, it's okay. But just don't lie. And, that, and that's all I got to say about that. Because um, it's like one thing to like lie to the media because everyone does that. that okay, I, I I'm had less of a problem with that because the NFL at the end of the day knew he was um he 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 didn't get the shot, so it was up to the Packers to kind of prevent him from breaking those protocols. But you know, come on. Also, the complaining like a less of a problem, but also I'm just like, come on, man. Like you make how many millions of dollars a year, and you're complaining about having to get up at 5 a.m. to get a test. If he had just not spread those lies, I would have heard him out. I would have heard him out. But I'm just like, dude, come on. Like, it, it's just, again, easily disprovable BS. But that's where we are, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to speak too much more on this because, you know, it's just one of those things. But I had to say something about it. Um, as you know, it is very prevalent in not only our society, but, uh, but, but in sports right now, it's, it's the, the, like the number one conversation on all these networks right now is that Aaron Rodgers, you know, for whatever reason said what he said and, you know, or didn't say other stuff or what have you. So that's my 10 cents on this whole situation. Again, I think. At the end of the day, the NFL should have come down harder against Aaron Rodgers or against the Packers. They didn't, though. And that's just the NFL doing what they do because they always come down on the wrong things So uh, a lot of the times and make themselves look stupid, make the league look stupid, and really make the fans understand how stupid the league is. But That's it. Um, guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. So, this was interesting. Ooh, this was interesting. Um, the taunting rule. For those of you who don't know, there is currently a huge discussion about the NFL's taunting rule. It's taking uh, place between fans and the league. It's taking place between commentators and everyone else. Um, and it's, it's not only surrounding the sheer stupidity of this rule... But it's also surrounding the the impact it has on the game. Uh, and it impacted the game this week. So let's talk about it. So the NFL's taunting rule basically call... Uh, yeah, tongue-tied, baby. Uh, <laughs> so the NFL's taunting rule basically cost the Chicago Bears a game. That is not a, an, an, anal an, an analysis. Oof. Take three, baby. <laughs> Because that's what I do. I, I, I do three takes this time. Um, but anyway, so the Chicago Bears were basically cost the game because of this BS taunting rule. Uh, so for those of you who didn't watch Monday Night Football, the Pittsburgh Steelers got sacked. Ben Roethlisberger got sacked by Cassius March, who is Marsh, I should say, who is a defensive end for the Chicago Bears. And it was at a critical situation. Pittsburgh was up by three in the fourth quarter, and the sack took them out of field goal range and would have and was on fourth down, would have given the ball right back to the Steelers. Cassius March, Marsh, does a little celebration, and then he just kind of stands there looking at the Pittsburgh bench, doesn't say anything, doesn't like put up a gesture, doesn't do anything like that. 
gets flagged for taunting, which is an automatic 15 yards, puts the Steelers at an automatic first down, puts them back in a field goal range. They kick a field goal. Now it goes from a three-point game to a seven-point game, or a six-point game, to a touchdown game. And the biggest gripe that people had about this was, and including the announcers who were calling the game, like Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and um, and 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 uh, you know everyone else, were looking at that, and they were like, "What? There, he didn't say anything to him." And my thing is, if you don't say anything to the guy, first of all, you can't be taunting. You're not saying anything. You're not pointing. You're just looking. You're just looking. 15-yard penalty for looking. Don't look at the other team's sideline. You might get flagged, NFL players. And, you know, it, it, it's, it caused this whole controversy online. It's caused a whole lot of stuff between fans. And Cassius Marsh, actually, after the game called out Tony Carrenti, who was the the referee. Because if you guys watch the play back, after, like, right as Tony Carrenti's pulling out the flag, as Cassius Marsh is wash, walking over to the sideline, Tony Carrenti hip-checks him. He puts out his hip a little bit to initiate contact with Marsh. And Cassius Marsh came out afterwards and said that was completely inappropriate, which it was. And he's never seen anything like it, which I haven't either. I've never seen a ref initiate contact with a player. Had a player done that to a ref, not only is that an automatic ejection, but it's also a potential suspension, definitely a fine, but a a potential suspension on top of being ejected. Tony Carrenti, though, didn't get ejected. Not going to get fined. He's going to be fine. But the Bears... They might have just been cost the game because of that. And it and say what you want, it was 100% a consequential play in that game. That cannot be denied. You look at the facts of the situation, the situation they were in, and what was going on in the game, the momentum of the game. It totally took the it changed the entire landscape of the game. That's just truth. And it, it, it also calls into question whether or not this, like, whether or not this behavior from referees should be possible. Like, by the letter of the law, I don't even think by the letter of the law that's taunting. He just looked in that direction. Did not say anything. And if you're Tony Carrenti, right, and you just see a player looking, you don't hear anything, how can that be taunting? You don't see him flipping anyone off. You don't see him pointing. How is that taunting? He doesn't throw the ball. How is that taunting Tony? And it gets into a larger conversation of... How uh, how unaccountable NFL referees are. Because the NFL referees can make a bad call and they never have to answer for it. Never, never, never. A player misses, a, a kicker misses a kick, always has to answer for it. A quarterback throws an untimely interception, 100% has, has to answer for it. Refs never do. And this really needs to start a conversation about, in some way, refs need to be held accountable. And I'm not talking about the BS way they do it now where it's like, oh, you know, we're going to rate the referees and then only the good referees are going to be around for the playoffs. You should only have good referees. You need, there needs to be a better way of holding them accountable, especially when, like Tony Carrenti did, they initiate contact with a player on a foul. Tony Carrenti should 100% be fined. I'm not capping. I'm not even a Bears fan. he should be fined for that. Because had a player done that, worse would have happened to him. 
That is truth. Tony Carrenti, should he be suspended? I wouldn't even say that. I wouldn't even say that. I think a fine's enough. I think a fine's enough. But hey, if they were to, I wouldn't be complaining. Because again, a player would, a worse would happen to a player. They need to find a way to hold these refs accountable. They're, and the, the reason is because unless the refs are held accountable, they are not going to think twice when making calls like this that, that are just so egregious and, 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 and BS. They're not going to do a thing. Like, I believe the NBA has, like, a post-game, like, conference or whatever with the refs. They're never going to do that. The The referees, players, or the referee association, their, their union is never going to allow for that to happen. But there's got to be some way. The NFL needs to answer for these BS calls. The referees, head of the referees, I don't care who it is, needs to answer for these BS calls. Because there's no way to hold referees accountable, but players constantly, constantly, constantly are are being held accountable in, in many cases, like Cassius Marshes, where they don't need to be because they didn't do anything wrong. So that's my view on that. Um, as far as the taunting rule goes, I have a whole different soliloquy about that. Uh, before I get into that, though, please be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. I just dropped my bottle cap. Anyway. So, as far as the NFL taunting rule goes, it's it's a bad rule. Just very blatant, very upfront with you guys. The NFL taunting rule sucks. It sucks on so many different levels. Because not only are you telling players, hey, you can't have fun. Not only are you telling players, hey, don't celebrate, don't get hype when you do something good. But it's inconsistent with a lot of what is allowed. Because here's the thing. This whole taunting situation. I, I want to be so clear about this. There are instances where, yes, it can go too far. But those instances almost never happen nowadays. Like, come on. we A player makes a pick. The entire team comes to the, comes to the end zone to celebrate. How is that not taunting? <laughs> like, come on. How is that not taunting? But then Cassius Marsh like, looks at the Pittsburgh sideline, and that's taunting. And for those of you who don't know, uh, John Mara, who is the owner of the Giants, he's the reason this taunting rule exists, or he's one of the primary reasons this taunting rule exists. The owners really took um, took took interest into this rule because they felt like we were getting away from the sportsmanship in the game. That is what they said. And mind you, this is like two years removed from when the NFL really relaxed their celebration rules. And there's a, and there's a reason why this is happening. Two years ago, the NFL relaxed their celebration rules because they were up for a TV deal. Because their TV contracts were coming back and they were negotiating. So what did the owners do? Hmm, if it looks like the players are having fun and they're energetic, and they're celebrating, more people will, will watch. And you know what happened? More people did watch. Because it's fun to see your team get hyped after they make a big play. Because it gets you hyped. It makes the viewing experience better. So yeah, more people are going to watch. And then what happened? The NFL got their TV deal. And what happened right after they got their TV deal? Owners like John Mara, they looked at all that money like, oh, okay, we got this money in the bag. Now we got to do something about these players celebrating. We got to do something about this. Bring back sportsmanship, pal. 
That's what they're saying. That was what they were saying this offseason. So, in order to bring back the spirit of the game and sportsmanship, what does John Mara and the NFL decide to do? Implement this BS taunting rule that says, oh, there's no taunting allowed. And if you do taunt, it's a personal foul and a 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. For taunting, people. For taunting. Not only is this just an obvious, you know, power grab from the owners, an obvious grift from the owners, because they went back on what they what they said they wanted to have more of in the game. They wanted more viewers so that they could get more money in their TV deal, which they did. And then as soon as they get that deal, nah. All the fun that you just saw, out of it, because the spirit of the game. Well, here's the thing, John Mara and others. Do you really think that people give a shit about what you think it's sportsmanlike? Antonio Brown kicking someone in the head? Yeah, that's not sportsmanlike. People punching each other when the play is dead, and, and even during the play, obviously. People punching each other. That's not sportsmanlike. That, those are things we can all agree or not. Someone doing this? That's how I don't I don't think that's necessarily unsportsmanlike. Someone staring at a sideline. Uh, you can say what you want about it. It's not a 15-yard penalty. Unless you live in the vacuum bubble that these owners live in, where it's all about professionalism. Two years ago, it wasn't about professionalism when you guys wanted this new TV deal. It, no, no, it wasn't. It was about how do we get money. Now that you have the money... Sorry, now you have more money. What do you want to do? You want to exert your power over the players. You want to exert your power over the fans because we own the team, pal, is what you're saying to yourselves. And it is such a BS rule, and it costs the Chicago Bears a game. It's going to cause more teams games in, in crucial situations because if the refs don't know how to call it, obviously. So get rid of it. It's an unaffected rule. Anyway, uh, let's take a listen to what Mike Tomlin had to say about this whole situation. Yeah, Mike, are you a proponent of the new taunting rule that's being emphasized? And have you had an opportunity to kind of reinforce it with your players? I am, and I have. Um, we're just trying to clean our game up. Um, we, we embrace the responsibility that comes with being the role models that we are. This game being played at the highest level, we understand that people that play at a lower level watch us and and, and often mimic the things that we do and how we conduct ourselves and just largely as a league uh, competition committee specifically uh, there was a desire to improve in that area and so um, that's been expressed to our guys um, we've we've been shown examples of that throughout team development and we continue to reinforce that as examples in a negative way turn up during the course of the journey for us and for others yeah Mike so so, that's what Mike Tomlin had to say. Um, I'm going to be quite frank. I respect Mike Tomlin. He is one of the best coaches in the NFL. He plays for the team that I despise. The Pits, or Sorry, he coaches for the team I despise, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin is wrong. He is wrong. We can talk about being role models, right? No player should be physically harming another player outside of the rules of the game. No player should be fighting other players. That's not setting a good... Example, and I agree with that. You're being a bad role model. Celebrating 
do uh, being being a little chippy. I don't got a problem being chippy. It's part of the game. You got to be a little chippy. But on top of that, celebrating things like you know, hey man, I made a great play on you. T talking a little smack. Everyone does that. It's an accepted part of sports. You know why it's an accepted part of sports? Because teams feed off of that, and that's it, it's part of the game, and it helps the game progress. And adults know that after the game, things are over, and if and and you know, like it, it's fine. That's how the game is played. But I don't know. Rubs me the wrong way. Just want to share that with you. I think I I, I very blatantly think Mike Tomlin is wrong here. Obviously. Um, anyway, though, guys, let me know what you guys think in the chat. Please hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Let's move on and talk about the NBA. There's a lot to talk about here in the NBA. Mo uh, one of the notable things that we're going to talk about here are the Los Angeles Lakers and kind of where they are as far as this season goes. Um, there's a lot of storylines, a lot of headlines being made about the Los Angeles Lakers. And I want to clear some things up. I want to very, very abundantly clear some things up because there's a lot of hate going on against, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, there's a lot of hate against my boy over there in Russell Westbrook. And I think it's unwarranted in a lot of ways. So, Russell Westbrook right now is getting a lot of flack because of the fact that now LeBron, now that LeBron James is out, he's the primary ball handler for the Los Angeles Lakers. They are not necessarily playing well with him in that role, and I understand frustration from Lakers fans about that because let's be honest, Russell Westbrook has not been good. He's put up some dud nights. He's put up a, nights where he has over double-digit turnovers. He's put up nights where the team just doesn't function well around him. And at at a glance of the eye, and from watching that, yeah, you could tell, like, hey, maybe the Lakers are better off without without Russ being the primary ball handler. I think that could be true. That could be very well true. But then you're in a situation where, if not Russ, then who? You put Rondo in that situation. Do you play Russ off the ball, which Russ... He, he hasn't really proven that he can be consistent off of that. But what do you do if it's not working? Well, if we were like halfway through the season, I'd say, well, you need to change everything up. But people, 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 we are 12 games into the season. I think to say one thing that Aaron Rodgers actually said right, R-E-L-A. X, relax. They're five games into the season. We are, or sorry, we're 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 twelve games into the season. It's it's just starting out. This team is just starting to get their chemistry together. It's not a thing where oh, Russell Westbrook will never learn how to play with any of these players. No. Russell Westbrook has been playing in this league for over a decade. LeBron James has almost been playing in this league for twenty years. Same with Melo. These guys will get it done and, and mesh together well. That doesn't mean you don't try other things. If, like, you know, 10 games from now, LeBron's still out and, and you know, you're still having problems, then, yeah, maybe try Rondo at, at the point. Try Russ off the ball or switch his minutes up. Yeah, try it. And Russ, if, if it's faced with that, if Russ is faced with a situation where he might be better off coming off the bench for the team, then Russ needs to appreciate that 
And Rush needs to acknowledge that, and Russ needs to play. And if he doesn't, then, which, you know, again, it's Russell Westbrook, so it's very possible that he doesn't want to, then, okay, we're going to cross that bridge when we get there. But I really want to reiterate, we're just a few games into the season. It's young. It's a team that a lot of people think are going to make the playoffs, or sorry, make the finals, which I still think they are. They're my pick right now from the West. Although the Golden State Warriors and the way that they're playing, my God, I can't. It's going to be hard for me, honestly, personally, to root against them. But the Lakers, I think, are going to be fine. Try some other stuff. See what happens if you put Rondo in there. Mix Rondo in with Russ. You know, try Russ off the ball. See if that's a role that he can he can settle into. Because I th- there's no reason this shouldn't work. There's no reason other than absolute pettiness for one from one party or another that this shouldn't work. And they're gonna have to figure it out. LeBron is out. They are gonna have to figure this shiznit, as Jr. would say, out. Because it's what's best for the team. It's what's best for Laker fans. It's what's best for all parties involved. They all are there for one reason, guys. They're all there to win. Melo didn't come there to be petty and fight about playing time. Russ wasn't traded there to be petty and and, and complain about uh, about playtime. LeBron isn't there to deal with pettiness. Neither is AD. Neither is anyone there. They're there to win. And... If you want, and if you're Russell Westbrook or you're the Lakers fans, sometimes there are growing pains that go on with that. That is part of it. Look at the 2010 Miami Heat team, or 2010-2011 Miami Heat team. Things were not hunky-dory the first few months for that team. They figured it out. When you, you, you can't just expect to put all of these pieces, these amazing, like, you know, almost toy, toy-like pieces together and... Have them all, you know, work in unison immediately. They need time to build chemistry. They need time to play together, get a, get acquainted with one another on, on the court consistently. And they will. Just give it more time. Give it more than like 10, 12 games, okay? Trust me. And look, if they don't figure it out by like midseason, by the All-Star break, the Lakers are still having these problems and LeBron is there and we're still hearing a lot of stuff, then it's time to seriously make some changes. And... Whether that's with the lineup, whether that's with the rotation, whether that's with, you know, maybe maybe talent. Who knows? It could be. Could be. But you know what I know? I know that you're a fool if you guys don't hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. That's what I think. I still love all you guys, though. Just want you to know. Still love everyone out there. Up next, we're going to be talking, we're going to be gearing back to the XFL. Uh, the XFL. Yeah, could you imagine two XFL segments in one show? Not yet, baby. We'll wait for 2023 to start doing that. Um, but do have some NFL news, and this is concerning Mr. Odell Beckham Jr., So OBJ was officially released by the Browns. He cleared waivers. Nobody claimed him, and that's what everyone anticipated. Now he's officially a free agent, and it's decision time for OBJ. Odell says that he has three teams that he primarily wants to go to, and those teams are the Chiefs, the Packers, and the New Orleans Saints. Three teams that have generally a need. I would say I would say definitely the Saints have a need with Michael Thomas out. Uh, the Packers, they could use someone outside of Devontae Adams. And the Chiefs, 
they they apparently always just need another wide receiver. They're always one wide receiver away from from just destroying everyone else. Um, but they are. But I I would say less pressing definitely for the Chiefs. Their their needs are bigger on defense than anything else. Um, Odell wants to go to a winner. He picked three teams that, or these are three teams that you know are generally doing well. Saints are in a good position, although Jameis Winston is out for the season. Can Trevor Simeon get him the ball? I think so. I would probably put that uh, third on, on my overall list of where he could possibly go or should possibly go of these three teams. The Pack, or the, sorry, the Chiefs, I would put it number two because here's the thing, Odell. If you go to the Chiefs, you're going to get a high— there's going to be high-volume throws, right, generally in that offense— but that doesn't mean, one, they're going to go all to you because you have to feed the ball to Tyreek Hill. You're going to feed the ball to, uh, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey. You're going to get the running backs involved. You're going to get McCall Hardman and Robinson and, and everyone else involved. They got a lot of pieces there. And if Odell's willing to understand that for at least a year, sure, yeah, okay. Or, or the rest of this year, yeah, okay, cool. And But it can't be one of those things where he goes there and, you know, he gets like maybe three catches a game and... You know, he's not okay with that. He's, you got to understand that going in. If he wants, you know, kind of like this, the all all in one package, a team that wins, a team that he could potentially play for after this season, and a team that has a need, you know, for another good, really good receiver, go to the Packers. The Packers of these three teams are the number one option for Odell because you're catching the ball from Aaron Rodgers, who will find a way to get you the ball. Because he's, look, say what you want to do about him off the field. On the field, there's like, he is second to almost none. Um, he's going to find a way to get chemistry with Odell. He do, he's done it with every receiver he's ever had. He's, and Odell is going to be elevated because of that. Because that's what Aaron Rodgers can do. Aaron Rodgers has a, has a very good track record of elevating talent around him. That on the field, especially. He, he always elevates talent around him. And he can possibly resurrect Odell's career back to the days of the Giants. I think that's still possible. He's still got the talent. He's still got all of that. For whatever reason, it didn't work in Cleveland. Can't dwell on that now. But Odell, I think, will have success in the Packers. The Packers will have a way to... Either Odell's going to be a decoy or Devontae Adams is going to be the decoy and they're going to be throwing the ball to Odell. Aaron will get the ball to either one of them. And that offense is going to run a lot better. Aaron Jones is going to make that offense even more dynamic and explosive. And let me tell you this. The Packers are already a Super Bowl contender. With Odell, they, they, I think they, they leapfrog the Cardinals. They're the number one team in the NFC by far. Like, like I'm saying it's not even close. Still, like, especially the way that defense has been playing, it's not even close. With Aaron Rodgers, Odell, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Greg Tunyon, big shout-out to the man Greg Tunyon um, at tight end, and the way that defense is playing, who would that say they're going to beat the Packers? Like, this could be the years the Packers finally, finally, by God, finally get to the Super Bowl and get past the stage of the NFC Championship game. And Odell could be the piece that helps them do that. I genuinely believe that. Because all people want to say that, oh, Odell doesn't have it anymore. He's going to cause problems, blah, blah, blah. You can say that all you want. He still can catch the ball. Baker Mayfield and Odell just never had the chemistry. Balls were misplaced. Balls were placed in the wrong areas, I should say. Um, and, and they just never seemed to get that immediate chemistry ever.
and sometimes it felt forced. Other times it felt like they just weren't on the same page. I think a, a, a new scenery, a fresh set of downs, whatever you want to call it for Odell is exactly what he needs. And Green Bay is the best place for that. If he wants all that stuff, if he wants to win, if he wants to stay past the season. Because, hey, look, after we what we saw from Jordan Love, who, you know, he did what he did out there. After from what we saw from Jordan Love, it's very likely that Aaron Rodgers is going to be part of the Packers organization after this season. Like, if, if uh, consider, like, they're not trading him, I think, after the way Jordan Love played. Because he's just not ready right now. And that's okay. But, yeah, I think this is a win-win-win for Odell. For everything he wants. For everything he should want. Um, We'll just see how it plays out. I'm interested to see how Odell makes this decision and how soon. Because he also isn't in a rush. He's a completely a free agent. Um, You know, you don't want to wait too long because you want to be you want to be geared up and ready come playoff time. You want to be ready to go and, and in sync with your quarterback come playoff time. But... You know, you, so so I I wouldn't uh, my advice to Odell would be don't wait too long, but don't wait too long. But we'll we'll see what happens with Odell. I'm interested to see what happens with him. Um, let's move on and talk. Stick with the NFL. Let's move on and talk about the MVP race because there's there's been a lot of hullabaloo about the MVP race. We are officially eight games through, so we're officially at the halfway point of the season, and it's time for people to speculate. And by people, I mean me. Speculate about the MVP race. Right now, people are saying there's front runners like Lamar Jackson, like um, you know Josh Allen, Tom Brady. These are the three names that everyone keeps on bringing up as front runners for the MVP race. Kyler Murray is also another name that people bring up. Um, and for me, right now, as it stands, the most valuable player to his team right now is Lamar Jackson. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Ravens fan. You, It's just abject fact at this point. You take Lamar Jackson off that team, and the way the Ravens have played this year, or the rest of the team has played this year, and the talent around him and all the injuries, there is no chance that football team is in a lot of games. Lamar Jackson has week after week, time after time, bailed this team out of terrible situations, being down multiple scores, being down three scores in the fourth quarter, coming back uh, on Monday Night Football, being down uh, to the Minnesota Vikings early and playing Lamar Ball, which which he does, he loves to do now. He's the MVP. And it might not be immediate from the stats, but he's on pace, by the way. I just want people to understand how how great Lamar is playing because the passing stats, you know, they, they might not wow people immediately. Like, I think he only has, like, I think it's, what is it, like 12 touchdowns or 13 touchdowns, seven interceptions halfway through the season. But if you look at the everything, his uh, like as far as his running game um, impact on the on the uh, games as well, Lamar Jackson is on pace for over 4,000 yards passing, 26 touchdowns, over 26 touchdowns, and over 1,200 yards rushing. He's on pace for 5,000 total yards, possibly... 30 touchdowns and bailing his team out time after time after time, being the team's leading rusher, being the team's leading passer, being the team's leading everything. There's no way if he just stays on pace for what he is right now, there is no way he's not the MVP. We've never seen anything like it. 
That's just the truth. We've seen people pass for 5,000 yards. We've never seen someone for three consecutive seasons run for 1,200 yards or run for over 1,000 yards. We've never seen someone have such an impact in the running and passing game equally. He is this team's running offense. Like, they, all three of their running backs in the preseason go down. The Ravens, they don't have anyone too dependable right now as far as Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, or Latavius Murray to run the ball with consistently like they had with other guys, like they had with Gus Edwards, like they had with J.K. Dobbins and company. So Lamar is basically their running back. And it's not a joke. It's literally true. They run the ball with Lamar 20 times a game. He is there directly plays where Lamar is just running the ball because that's what they have to do. And they are winning. They are 6-2. and two. They are leading their division. They could, they're, I believe, tied for the conference lead. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson, Lamar might play Lamar ball. He might Lamar ball them to the Super Bowl. Who knows? But if the season ended today, he's the MVP. If the season ends in eight weeks or nine weeks, whatever it is, and they are still, um, and he's on pace for whatever he's doing right now, he is still the MVP. Compared to everyone, I know Tom Brady's getting a lot of nods for his play, but if you look at the talent on Tom Brady, you look at the talent that Kyler Murray has, the talent that's, that um, that Josh Allen has, doesn't compare. That's not saying that Lamar doesn't have talent around him. Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in football. Hollywood Brown is a very, very good receiver. On pace for a career year, by the way. Over, over I think he's on pace for 1,200 yards. And he already has six touchdowns. So, but Lamar, but let's be honest here. Hollywood Brown ain't no Stephon Diggs. All right? Hollywood Brown, no Stephon Diggs. He definitely ain't no DeAndre Hopkins. All right? He's not DeAndre Hopkins. And he's not everything that the Bucks have. He's not Mike Will or Mike Evans, A.B., and, and Gronk, and all those guys, and Goodwin. Oh, my God. Brady just says a lot of talent, which is fine. That he's still being, he's still going out there and executing perfectly, which that's not a knock on Brady. It's just when you factor all of it in, it all all the signs point to one place, and that is Baltimore, Maryland, and Lamar Jackson's house, the bank, if you will. So he's the MVP. One person who's not getting as much love, and I want to be clear about this, um, guys. The MVP conversation is largely dominated by quarterbacks. And look, it's for a good reason, right? Quarterbacks generally have the biggest impact on the game because the ball is in their hands and they are the decision makers. There's a lot to process. There's a lot that goes into it. And they have to put the ball in the right place on every play. Otherwise, it's going to cost their team. They have the most direct impact on a game. That is why the quarterback position is so much talked about in this MVP race. Right now, I'm going to highlight someone who is not a quarterback, but is 100% deserving to be in the conversation for MVP. And that is the LA Rams receiver, Cooper Cup. Guys, before you come at me in the comments, let me just be clear. We are, what, eight games now? The Rams have played eight games. He has 74 catches. Over a thousand yards, ten touchdowns. Not only is Cooper Cup on pace to 
break Calvin Johnson's single-season receiving record, he's on pace to shatter it, if we're being honest. Not only is he on pace to break it, this dude, Cooper Cup, is on pace to set to set a almost a touchdown record. He could he could very well set the single season touchdown record. He already has 10 touchdowns. All right? He already has 10 touchdowns. We have not seen this level of production at the wide receiver position in a very very long time. Sorry, 9 games they've played. Still got 8 to go. Still got 8 to go. It's still very likely that Cooper Cup could have over 1900 yards and break the record of Calvin Johnson. It's still possible that he's going to have 20 touchdowns, possibly more, because they they just feed him the ball. He's here's one thing I'll definitely say: my bold prediction, whatever you want to say, Cooper Cup is 100 breaking, 100 breaking the single season receive receptions record. I will 100 put money on that if he stays healthy, obviously for the rest of the season, because. Right now he has what seventy four. The record is one forty nine that Michael Thomas uh, set uh, set a few years ago. He'll break that. Easy money on that one. He'll, he'll break that because I think the Rams are going to be in a position as the playoff race heats up, as the as the race for the division uh, heats up down there, and that AFC or NFC West is tough, getting tough with Russell Wilson coming back, with uh, how good the Arizona Cardinals are. It's going to be tough for the Rams. I think they're going to be forced to feed Cooper Cup. He and he is a beast right now. Cooper Cup is he is the best player on that offense. I said it. Say what you want. It's true. He's the best player in the offense and the rate he's at if you're not talking about him at least in the MVP race, you don't have to vote for him, you don't have to give him the MVP, you don't got to crown him, all right? But he 100% deserves to be talked about in that MVP conversation. But that's just me. Let me know what you guys think in the chat. Hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Let's move on to some lighter news. Um, or should I say some fighter news? Because that's really what this is about. Um, guys, something crazy is about to happen in the world of professional boxing. It's if it couldn't get any crazier. So we've seen basically the sport of boxing has turned into just celebrity boxing, and it's a spectacle now, right? My God, though, what, what, what this news when I saw this news, it just it, it it blew my mind. Cast your minds back to 2011, right? Let's say we're in the year 2011. What if I told you that Darren Williams, yes, point guard for the Nets, Darren Williams, and running back for the San Francisco 49ers, Frank Gore, were going to be in a professional boxing match. You think I was crazy. <laughs> Ten years later, baby? I don't know. It's still crazy to me. But, hey, former NBA point guard Darren Williams will fight ex-NFL running back Frank Gore in a boxing match uh, on a on the undercard of the Jake Paul-Tommy Fury fight on December 18th, live in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um... Frank Gore will be making his pro boxing debut. Uh, he and the the weight for this bout is going to be 215 pounds, and it's going to be a four round fight. Interesting to say the least. Uh, for those who might not be familiar, Darren Williams, 37 years old, is a three time NBA All Star, former star for the Utah Jazz, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he was actually the early face of the Brooklyn Nets. 
he's won a few Olympic gold medals and very accomplished NBA player. Frank Gore, he is currently third in the NFL rushing all-time rushing uh, list. He has over 16,000 rushing yards. Um, he's also a five-time Pro Bowler, 100% future Hall of Famer, 38 years old. And these two are going to be fighting. What are my thoughts on this? Um, other than the fact that this is utterly preposterous, I am 100% interested. <laughs> like, I, and I think this is exactly what they're going for, right? Just having big-name athletes that people like and that people uh, want to see do stuff. And in this case, it's fighting. I am 100% down for this because, one, look, they're going to make money from it, all right? So the athletes are going to be taken care of. Two, it's interesting. Like, I want to say, Darren Williams versus Frank Gore, you're telling me these two are going to be in a fight? It's too crazy for me not to tune in. Like, I, I I mean, like, I'm still trying to wrap my head completely around, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, like, like this is like, and, and like, look, it, it's it's worth to note that while these two, you know, they've done a little combat sports, like Darren Williams, he said that he's like, you know, he's like a novice. He's he's always been an enthusiast. He's practiced MMA and stuff like that. Uh, Frank Gord started real seriously training for boxing a few years ago. And, you know, he, and look. He actually declined offers from NFL teams this season to focus on this fight. So you, so this has been a long time in the works. It seems like something Frank Gore wants to do. It seems like something Darren Williams wants to try out. I am down for these two trying this out because it's, it, it develops interest in boxing. And also, I think it's a great way for these people to, to really, um, I guess, get that feeling and, and try this sport out. Try something new. And then that begs the other question. Who am I rooting for? Gotta go with Frank Gore. Gotta go with Frank Gore. He is he is the beast. He He's a machine. This dude, 38 years old, he 100% could be playing right now. He declined offers from teams. He could be playing right now. He could be producing on the field. This dude, I genuinely believe if Frank Gore wanted to, and if he kept his body in shape, which he definitely can, but if he wanted to, he could play another four or five years and break the all-time rushing record. It's just a matter of how much he wants it. So when Frank Gore puts his mind to something, he's going to do it. And I think exactly what he's going to do, that's exactly what he's going to do in this fight. You don't you don't play the position of running back at until the age of 38 and be as productive as, as Frank Gore was and is without having a certain level of drive. And that's what I think he's got. And that's why he's got the upper hand. No disrespect to Darren Williams. Darren Williams loved him in the NBA. Loved him in the NBA. Really good player. But he ain't built like Frank Gore, man. Like, 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 we're gonna like put put the picture of Frank Gore back. There it is. Look at that. He ain't built like that. That's a brick house coming his way. That's a brick house coming your way, Darren Williams. Be ready. Be ready. I don't know. I'm I've got I've got a lot of other thoughts, but we'll see. I mean, I might I might actually like cover that fight. That that just seems like an interesting like like forget the whole uh Jake Paul, uh, uh, Little Woodley, I'll call him Little Woodley, uh, part of that. I am, I am all in on Darren Williams and Frank Gore boxing. I am all in on that. Um, let me know what you guys think though in the comments. Subscribe, hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Um, oh, sorry about that. Let me let's move on, everyone, and talk about um, do do do. What are we gonna talk about? Oh, it's our last thing. Oh, it's my favorite thing to talk about. 
hey, bro, we got to talk. Um, so this, I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, but apparently the, the Jokic brothers, uh, the, the brothers of Nikola Jokic and uh, the, the Morris brothers, Markeith and Marcus Morris, they got beef. Um, and it stems from like some an on the court altercation. And I talked about how the fight between Frank Gore and Darren Williams is is wacky, right? I, I talked about how wacky that was, right? And, and and really is. But my God, this might take the cake. I I I don't I don't know how to process this. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. This just seems like an insane story. Um, and, and it is a story. It is 100% a story. So, um, oh, God. It, I, like, I, I'm trying to come up with the words, obviously, to, get, to break this down. Uh, it's probably better for me to just really get into it. Um, so, so, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do that. Um, so, Nikola Jokic and uh, Markeith Morris got into a bit of a brouhaha. As I always love to use that word, don't I? Brouhaha. Um, but yeah, there was a bit of a brouhaha between those two parties. So let's talk, like, okay, I'm going to stop bullshitting now. Let's go from the beginning and talk about the hit. So during, um, ooh, sorry, had something in my eye. So during the, during the game between the Nuggets and the, uh, and believe it was the Heat, right? Yeah, it was the Heat. So during the game between the Nuggets and the Heat, Nikola Jokic got hard fouled by Marcus Morris, or Markeith Morris, I should say. Markeith Morris. And in retaliation, basically, when Markeith Morris had his back turned, ran at him full speed and gave him a shoulder tackle. And, and let's be clear, the hit that Morris had on Jokic was uncalled for. He hit him in the ribs, very well could have hurt him. And the Morris brothers, both of them, Markeith will put him in a bubble by himself, all right? Markeith Morris also has a reputation of stirring the pot, of being a player who likes to get away with stuff like this. And the reason he did this is probably because he thought Nikola Jokic was not going to retaliate because Nikola Jokic has a reputation of being one of the nicest people in the NBA. And he is. But you would have thought that Marquise Morris, no matter how big he is, would have thought about it before he gave a 7-foot, 280-pound NBA MVP a shot in the ribs on a play that didn't even need a foul. You would have thought he would have thought about it before he turned his back. But he didn't. And Jokic hit him. And I have no problem with Jokic hitting him. Was it too much? Yes, you can definitely argue it was too much. And look, I'm not condoning that kind of stuff. But like at the same time, I don't blame Jokic for hitting him. Markeith Morris shouldn't have done that in the first place. And if you think Jokic is going to lie down and take it lying down, ho, 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 you got another thing coming. The Joker is wild, baby. And he's not going to take that lying down. If I have to say who to blame for it, I 100% Markeith Morris. I'm not saying I want him to be hurt. No, I hope he gets better, whatever, and, and all that stuff. I hope he's there. I'm pretty sure he's not on the injury list. So, it, great. So, hope. So, thankful it wasn't severe. But man, if you're gonna if you're gonna dish it out, you got to be willing to take it. And you, and 
Would I have rather had it with Markeith Morris not having his back turned? Yeah, I would much rather have had that, and it would have been much more equal, and then I wouldn't have had a problem with it at all. The only extent do I have a problem with it is that he had his back turned. But at the same time, had he had he not been turned or had he been turned around, might have had even bigger like uh, scuffle. So who knows? But that brings me to the second part of this, which is the most interesting part. So after Markeith Morris and Nikola Jokic got into that altercation on the court, off the court, we saw a tweet from um, the Morris brothers from, uh, I believe it was Marcus Morris. This is Markeith Morris's uh, twin brother. And he says, wait until bro had his back turned. He said this on Twitter. Noted. And in retaliation... The Jokic brothers, who, by the way, they made a Twitter account specifically to answer this. That's how you know they don't play around. They replied with this wonderful tweet. Quote, you should leave this the way it is instead of publicly threatening our brother. Your brother made a dirty hit. Play first, which he did. If you want to, if you want to make it a step further, be sure. <laughs> be sure. We will be, we'll, we will be waiting for you. Signed, the Jokic brothers. And... Just so everyone knows, the Jokic brother, like everyone's talking about how you know big uh the Yoke the Joker is, how big Nikola Jokic is. These brothers, man, they ain't small. If you look at all the way to the the, I believe that's the left of that picture, of uh, the the one wearing the camouflage and the one wearing the black shirt. That's or though that's the family right there, folks. That's the family. The one wearing the camouflage, I one hundred percent know is a brother and a brother you don't want to mess with. And let me tell you something, man. These guys, not only are they bigger than Nikola Jokic, they're bigger. They're bigger than Nikola Jokic. But on top of that, this family is from Serbia, my friends. A war-torn country. These brothers grew up during a time of great conflict and war. They had to survive bombings. They had to survive war at their uh, footsteps. And you think they're going to back down? You think they're going to be scared? No, 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 no. These people, these players, these brothers are built different. They're not backing down from anyone. They're not scared of anyone, nor should they be, man. This, like I'm telling you, the Morris brothers, I don't, you don't want the smoke. You don't want that smoke. Like, just, I, I would just leave it. You, you, you follow the advice they gave you. Leave it the way it is. You really don't want to antagonize these brothers. They made a Twitter account. They, <laughs> this is so ridiculous to me, but so badass at the same time. They made a Twitter account just to reply to this and stand up for their brother, which I'm always for standing up for your brother. But man, oh man, you don't want to mess with this family. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um... But yeah, what an episode. What a time to be alive. Guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Be sure to tune in to Real Take Russell Talk on Tuesdays, Real Take Sports Talk on Wednesdays. This Friday, we'll be having a a, a special Friday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. We'll be having a special preview edition of AEW Full Gear, our AEW Full Gear Live preview and prediction special. It's going to be up on Friday, 7 p.m. live. Tune into that. Um... And yeah, so until then, I'll see you guys later. Uh, keep it real. That was a bad outro. We'll do better next time. Keep it real, guys.